Welcome to the Health Ignited Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Health Ignited. I'm here as always with uh, Dr. Sonia Jensen. Hey, hey. what's up? Conversation. <laughs> uh, we, well, we always love having conversations. And today we actually are going to have a conversation with a fellow naturopathic doctor and on, on topics that I think are hitting all of us right now. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, us yeah. and families. And I just think I love talking to colleagues um, because we always learn so much. And we also get to just conversate with like like-minded individuals, which we don't always have to do because I think it's important to have different opinions and different lenses that we learn from. And so I'm excited today to learn from Dr. Taylor Bean's lens. Yeah. yeah. So Dr. Taylor Bean, we don't know her as well as we'd like to, but we hope that this is the start of many conversations. You know, we kind of watch and see uh, other doctors and see what they're doing. And Taylor's been such a powerful voice of bringing a really balanced conversation to really important topics, topics that aren't always easy to talk about. Um, but she's a licensed naturopathic physician. She, uh, she has her prescribing authority. She's working in Maple Ridge, correct? And, um, mm-hmm. you know, she's just a total naturopathic badass, like, like we think that we are too. And, and we wanted to have a conversation with, uh, with her today. And so Taylor, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me and reaching out. Cause I just, I'm always grateful to be given a platform, a place to, to speak a little bit of truth and reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I love that. So we're gonna we're gonna dive into some conversations uh, regarding vaccines and 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 uh, pediatric care or, or helping kids, especially in that early few years when there's so many question marks for parents and not knowing what do we do, you know, what kind of schedule do we have to follow. Um, there's so many questions that come up as parents. I, I know that you've got two kids, so do we, and, you know, navigating those waters and, and trying to figure out what's the right thing for them, for us as a family, what does it mean when they go to school? So what got you into this field of, of, uh, wanting to know more about, uh, the, the schedule, the vaccine schedule and parenting and, and things that parents need to know? Yeah. So vaccines was never on my radar and nor was working with children. So when I was going to school, it was, um, I wanted to learn different injection therapies like Prolo and, um, and whatnot for pain management. And then I had children. And so I was overseas. My son was born in Singapore. So what really started even before even thinking about vaccines was actually informed consent is really where it started for me and what it really means. So birthing my first child, um, and, and, getting prepared to birth my first child, uh, a lot of reading, a lot of soul searching, because I have to admit, like I wasn't ready to birth a child naturally. So there was a lot of, there was a journey there and then learning my options and the choices that I had within that. And I birthed him at home in Singapore, which in itself is rare. Not a lot of people make that decision. A lot of people, most will birth within a hospital. So when people knew I was birthing at home, of course, is sort of this look of shock of 
because you like you chose that yes based on my options and what I want that is what I want to do and I had there's one obstetrician of all of Singapore that will attend a home birth he attended mine and it was gorgeous it was a beautiful laboring experience and so after that I was this empowerment of holy smokes I I did something that you know I most don't this is new to me what else is out there so that just that started the informed consent part and and knowing your options. Now, Singapore has mandated vaccines and vaccines, again, at that point, weren't even on my radar at all. But then because I had had a child, I, the, the, my pediatric demographics really grew and I started to see a lot of kiddos in my office and the vaccine piece started to come up. And I had two families um, that had come in And they each had had questions around vaccines. And this is post vaccines. One of them in particular had had their child had had an adverse reaction. They had seen um, uh, specialists within Singapore. You can see people very quickly and no one really had any answers. And at that point it wasn't to her. It was not, was it the vaccine? It almost, it didn't matter at that point. It was like, well, what, how are you going to help the health of my child now? That's why I'm here today. And I was a new mom and a new grad and all I knew is I wanted to help her, but I had no idea what I was dealing with. I had no idea that this was at all something to know about. Um, I I had no idea what to use in my toolbox. What am I going to use at this point? And so it happened again to me, um, you know, a month or so later. um, And because it happened again, I was like, okay, this is something I need to know. And in the moment I had no, no idea what to do. So that was an embarrassment for me of how do I not have an answer for you? I am so sorry. I have no idea what product, the product that I'm dealing with. I understand it's a vaccine. It's, it has an antigen and you're supposed to make an antibody. And that's all I know about it. That's it. So from there it was, okay, I need to understand how this product works. What is the cascade of things that can happen to create antibodies? And why can in some people have uh, a reaction, be it it's typically mild or moderate and very rare would it be um, a very severe case. And so when I moved back to Canada, um, that's almost five years ago, I took the course to administer vaccines to learn more about vaccines. But I knew that from that time period in Singapore to coming home in Canada was, I had learned quite a lot. I'm like, well, this seems to be an area that I'm not, I don't have many answers for. So therefore there aren't very many people in this area. And I think it's an area that I want to get into because there isn't anybody. And um, I think if I put it out there, you know, my patients will teach me, um, colleagues will teach me, I'm going to attend, you know, BC, CDC conferences and learn more. And and it's just, it's gone from there. And every conference I go to, you know, I, I take a professional to the side and ask them, you know, what about this or that? And I get different answers, or I don't know, or who knows. Um, And so now I'm really understanding the product that I'm using. And so if there is an adverse reaction, which I have not had in my office, and I've been doing this now for, you know, almost five years, um, perhaps there's a good process that we're using or, um, you know, just better education around this. And, and within, within vaccine administration, comes yes the responsibility of understanding the product but also you should be allowing uh that place for people to come in and ask the questions 
and feel safe to do so. And that is a huge segment that I've seen missing within uh, vaccines is people are turning to Facebook and Google because nobody's answering their question or they've been shamed because they've asked the question. And so, okay, well, clearly this is something that I need to offer and do um, and create that space for people. A lot of times people come in, they're just asking questions, you know, and it's like, yeah, I'm going to vaccinate, but I have all these questions and no one's answering them for me. So great. Let's, what do you want to know? And then we, you know, we build upon that. Um, So it's been a really interesting journey to get me here now. Um, but it was my experience in, in, in Singapore. Um, and, and so I've just taken that and propelled and gone forward. So have been given, um, very graciously been given the opportunity to speak at different conferences around vaccine optimization and what that means to me. Um, and let's create some dialogue around with, as professionals as well. Um, you know, because there is so much talk that I see on both sides that are inaccurate when it comes to around a vaccine. So I'm trying to carve out this area of whatever you want to, A, whatever you want to do, um, I'm here for you and I will support you and I will answer your questions. And if you want to vaccinate with me, then vaccinate with me or you go with public health. And um, so it's been a good, it's been a good journey so far. Uh, Challenging at times, certainly, but um, I think it's an area that, is a missing piece within medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. That informed consent piece is so important. And I love that you brought your own story into it. Because I know when I became a mom too, it's like you become an advocate for all women so that they fully can understand all the steps and all the choices and options that we have because we're not given a lot of options unless we ask for them. So really educating and empowering people to take their health into their own hands. And then now here you are given this infant that didn't come with a manual and you're trying to figure everything out for this little being that you're now in charge of. And it's really confusing. And when people go to Dr. Google, they're getting all different lenses and sides and that creates even more stress and confusion. So I love that you're there and available for people to just be themselves and not feel shamed and judged because that's usually the feedback that I receive also when parents come in asking questions or like, we just want a space where somebody's just giving us the information so we can make a decision for our family. So I love that you're creating that for them. So maybe define what that vaccine optimization is for you. So you, you mentioned that um, as you were telling us your story. So what does that actually mean? Well, well, vaccine optimization is for me is the experience from A to Z. So I either you have a newborn, either, you know, have kiddos that come in that are five, I have 18 year olds, I have adults and you know, first optimization, the experience is essentially to me, um, going through the steps of achieving informed consent. And part of that is the opportunity to ask questions. That is part of our training. When we do the certification to administer vaccines, the opportunity to ask questions. So I really, um, advocate for that piece for my patients, like ask questions. What what is it that you want to know? Because then you're going to be making a decision that's not based on fear or, Um, just, you have no idea why you're doing what you're doing because someone said something, Um, but rather you're making a a decision because you're totally informed. You understand why you're doing it. Then from there is um, optimizing in terms of vaccine efficacy. 
So uh, for example, we will use vitamin C. Uh, is there some research around deficiency of maybe problematic to using probiotics because probiotics have shown um, efficacy, vaccine efficacy. And then if then also layering in the topic around Tylenol. So having that good, that really deep uh, dialogue around why one should not use Tylenol with vaccines, especially before and after. And it's coming, I think the WHO has talked about why. I think it'll filter into our public health agencies soon enough about how Tylenol can actually reduce the immunogenicity of vaccines, meaning they don't work as well. So that's one angle that's important. And the other angle is going to be what Tylenol does. So as we know, it can wipe our glutathione storages. And for some people, um, they can genetically have a reduced ability to break down acetaminophen appropriately because it's glutathione dependent. So then we get to have this really toxic metabolite circulate the body that in itself is problematic. So then if they do use Tylenol, um, I have glutathione already on board. That's, so that's part of, of the program as well that, that I use. And so if we have an infant or if we have someone older, then of course, it's how we get it into the child. Um, and then I work on the amuncteries as well. So we're working on kidneys and liver. Um, I think a, a, everyone could probably work on their amuncteries, but that's something that's um, introduced in. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's sort of, that's the optimization for me that I have found has worked really well is having a safe place to, to speak. So then we get to remove the emotions because it's a very emotionally charged topic. I've, I, sometimes I feel like I'm, it's a counseling session between a mother and a father because there's differing opinions of what they want to do. So essentially I say, what do you guys want to do? You speak, then you speak. And then it's half an hour of just them talking. And then we, okay, well, we need to come to um, an agreement of what we're going to do and what's best. And so let's talk about, you know, why you want to do this and why you don't want to do that. And then eventually we come to terms. And so that for them was like, okay, that we needed that. We needed to get there. We didn't know how we were going to get there. And seeing a counselor is not, wasn't going to be helpful for us because we want to talk to someone about vaccines specifically. So then we come to that agreement. Um, so that's been really enlightening to me. I didn't really see that that was going to happen in full, but it was clear that clear to me in the community and out there, I mean, because I support um, patients across Canada, um, work with, with other practitioners and helping their patients around vaccines, um, it's clear that it's just, hey, I just wanted to ask you these questions. And that was so helpful to me. Thank you so much. And I get questions like, can I split up the MMR vaccine, which you could easily you know, look online for, but they just wanted to hear it from somebody and say, no, you can't. But did you know that other countries either will use just an MMR vaccine or maybe just a measles vaccine? So it's the world offers different things depending on where you live and maybe where you're moving to. So, and that's interesting to them to hear that just more and be more transparent. Um, and so then they can make, I've had, I've had patients that are, you know, because I've lived and work in Singapore, patients that were moving to France or moving to Japan. Um, so, and, and I wouldn't have known that unless I had given that extra little bit of information that said, oh, hey, well, we're thinking of moving there. That's interesting. Um, Cause a lot of people, either they decide they're not gonna do certain vaccines, but they would if there was um, XYZ vaccine available. And once they realize that there is, then they do wanna vaccinate. So 
Uh, it's interesting, and, and I find where they are in their journey within vaccines, and um, you need need to meet people where they are, and um, being a little bit too forward, um, and especially if you're going to be disrespectful and shameful towards them, don't expect someone to listen to you or follow your guides that you are saying, because no one wants to be talked to like that, and 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 people will just turn away and never come back, and as a result of that. That's where I see a large proportion of people who are hesitant. You're going to be hesitant to do something when you have someone that treats you with extreme disrespect and shame. Don't expect someone to, to come back and like, hey, I'm back to talk to you. I just love the way you shamed me last time. So I'm going to come back for more. Um, I've got more questions. Let's see how this goes. I mean, <laughs> obviously not. No one wants to be talked to like a child. So you create an issue that you you think that someone else might be creating. And, and by talking to two NDs, and I did this on another interview about people want to point fingers, you know, at different professions and blame for vaccine hesitancy. And we NDs get the finger pointing. And I'm here to say it is not naturopathic doctors have any responsibility to deal with vaccine hesitancy. It is, I'm very protective of our profession and of my colleagues. And to see that in the world, it's, well, it's NDs, the, they are the reason, not a chance. When you start treating people with disrespect and start shaming them, hesitancy is born. That is where it's gonna start. Because if you're not gonna allow me to talk to you about something and you treat me that way, I am now going to be hesitant and I'm not gonna come back. So now you've created this new problem and I'm gonna to go to Google and Facebook to get my answers because it's safe, because I can just sit on my computer and no one's yelling at me as I start reading and learning. So that's where I saw a huge problem um, as a result of that. And like, look, there's a different way to do this. And if I can, if we can have an adult conversation back and forth, you ask a question and I answer it, we're going to get so much more further ahead than we did before this. So so that's how I, I see the vaccine um, optimization um, on so many different levels, but really it's around the conversation piece and how we treat people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. such a powerful discussion. And, you know, when I think back to our naturopathic training, we weren't really trained well enough to have a, an appropriate opinion one way or the other. We were really just trained on this, on informed consent. I mean, this is really, that's been the case with pharmaceuticals. That's been the case with vaccines. To, to actually come out of our schooling and go, we were taught that they are bad or we were taught that they are good. That was not the case at all. It's not that simple as you're saying. And the way you painted the picture for, for that feeling of shame, of feeling that stupidity, the feeling of like, oh, I don't belong because I don't think the same way that you do. And, and it's a really lonely place. And so, yeah, I mean, I can see why that would be born out of that, out of that frustration or maybe hearing stories of, something good or bad or what have you. I mean, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, it's, it's out of feeling like you're not connected to the person that you're working with. And, you know, I think that as NDs, we pride ourselves on spending time with a patient and really getting to know them and their story. And none of us are perfect by any stretch, of course, either. And I can't say that every patient who's come to see me, you know, left walking on rainbows. I mean, we all have good or bad days too. And, and it's, you know, but like I like you said, we all have to be grown ups about conversations like this that are going to impact our lives. So, um, the next question I have for you is, what are some of those common questions that people have? Because I want people to be able to tune into this conversation and go, yeah, like that's that's something I was wondering about too. But what are some of those common questions that you get? 
So the com common questions, um, interestingly enough, I have a, a handout on my website of the five most common questions that people ask. Mm -hmm. And so you can Very download good. it there. So those are some good five common ones that I get. A, a big portion of our conversation too will be around um, either pregnancy um, to vaccinated pregnancy to uh, just immune system function. And the immune system in infants believe it or not, is different from an adult. And, and when we vaccinate, we, we do vaccinate most um, within from zero to 12 months. That's where the, the bulk of vaccines are given. And then we have um, sporadically for the rest of their, you know, until they're about five. And then there's booster shots in grade school. So, you know what, we have a conversation because, well, information is available to people a lot more easy today. So people can easily read papers off of PubMed, can easily read something in, um, there's so many more interviews with professionals around. So it's not, this is a new information, but so now patients want clarity and need to sort of walk them through because you hear words around the immune system. And, and, and so what does this mean? So we talk about infant immunity and the development of, and what that means in terms of with vaccines and even vaccines, vaccine efficacy. So when an infant is born um, with the ability to make antibodies, but the ability to make antibodies towards food protein. So you think breast milk or, or through um, supplementation. So, so the body is learning self from non-self and it's building a tolerance to these things. And that's right from the beginning. The ability to make antibodies towards viruses and bacteria aren't very strong or robust yet. And there are mechanisms as to why that is and very interesting. And I go, I walk through this um, within the conferences that I do, but I have uh, recently created a three-part vaccine webinar series. And um, you can easily find them on the website they're, they're good for anybody. I, the, the negative feedback I've gotten is that they're a bit technical and that's on purpose because when we're start talking about vaccines, you've got to, you've, you've really got to levitate your information and um, have the, the words, the grammar around explaining even to somebody else. And maybe you start with simple words, but then if you want to start um, getting into, you know, bigger conversations, um, that that's why I do, because it's there, it's there for you. I walk that through the papers are there. Um, and so why a child then isn't able to make strong, robust antibodies to, um, viruses and bacteria as a result of, well, breastfeeding. And so there's a mechanism there and we're talking about cytokines and what that does. And so when we talk about our CD4 cells that, um, polarize into TH1 and TH2 and different T helper cells, what those mean and their role and that they change as the, as the baby develops. And so what papers are showing is that um, seroconversion, um, you take an antigen and make an antibody in children is really robust around nine to 12 months. It holds. So in, in, if you can force, you can, you can ask the immune system of an infant to make antibodies to viruses and bacteria by way of using adjuvants, which are used. Um, primarily aluminum is an adjuvant that stimulates the immune system to respond and then to, to go through the cascade of making an antibody. And so at two and four and six months, the infant's body can make antibodies to that antigen, 
but they really decline quickly. And then you do four months and then they decline quickly. And then you do six months, maybe holding a little bit, but whatever you did at two, four, six, you're doing again at 12 months or 15 or 18 months. So you're then re-reminding and then we've got longevity of antibodies. We don't know if a child has made antibodies ever. There's no way of checking. We have no idea if they've seroconverted. Vaccine efficacy is gonna be based on through clinical trials, um, starting with uh, rat models or, or mice making antibodies. And then you go through phase two and phase three and then you give to adults. And phase four is when a vaccine is out. And uh, then we're watching trends to see that the infection rate of that infection is declining or not declining, or are we getting any ebbs and flows? So that's where epidemiology will come in to show what are the trends and uh, stats. The WHO will put that out um, annually on, on most of the infections that we vaccinate for. So you can see the rise and fall, which is interesting. Um, but that's the efficacy will be based on. Um, but we don't we don't check. We never do ch check in terms of our community. What is the immunity of our community? So titers is another thing. As as naturopathic doctors, we do have the ability to test for titers. Meaning, did you create immunity to measles, mumps, rubella, chickenpox, and Hep B? Those are the ones that we can check. So I have a lot of people who, uh, let's say they're, um, they're five years of age, six years of age, they're gonna do their kindergarten shot. Then we check titers. Titers, again, is not 100% um, effective. No test is 100, no test on the planet is 100%. So this is, I know there's a level of, well, this could be a false reading, um, a false negative where you do, but it's not showing me that you do. Um, but it's all I have. It's what I have. So we do use it. And what I like to do is, um, and my patients usually will agree to when they're older, is when we do a vaccine, um, we check for titers later. Did you make, did you mount antibodies to that out of interest and knowing, oh yeah, you did. Did you respond? I've had patients who've had MMR vaccine three times going for rubella and were not mounting antibodies to rubella. And so it's like, okay, you are not seroconverting. You are one of those people in the population that doesn't make an antibody very well to this antigen. So you're a non-seroconverter. And there's there's more people out there that exist than we think do. Probably about a 5% people are non-seroconverters. Okay. So that's what's, you know, I think that's also part of the optimization as well is let's see if the product worked. Let's check and test. To me, it's not a big deal. A blood draw, ship it. I get the information in. I call them. I don't think it's a, a lot of work to do that. It does add a bit, but I'm very interested in knowing, and so are they. So that's in terms of infant immunity is, is, a, a, is a big topic. Um, I try to narrow it down to 10 minutes uh, within our conversation, but that is definitely part of their tell me more about that and and then tell me, and then let's talk about vaccine efficacy. Um Tylenol will definitely be part of that because I wanted to be part of the conversation. Um, other questions, yes, will be around adverse reactions. That's That will be a common question and valid one for sure. There is an, an adverse reporting system in place within this country. And I have the uh, paperwork at hand 
it includes it's three page uh, paperwork and it includes another three pages of a table format of possible adverse reactions to the vaccine, which are based on uh, timely fashion. Either it's going to be from zero to 48 hours, zero to seven days, or even 40 days, depending on which one you've done. So then they go home with that and they see that it's like, okay, because reporting is important. There's a stigma against reporting, um, which I'm not too sure why, because at, annually at a federal level, they will look for trends and see, and even if it was not you know, at an annual level, but more maybe after a week or two weeks of seeing a trend, then you want to know which vaccine that was, the lot number, and pull it. And that has happened in our past. That's happened with the DTaP, and that happened with the rotavirus. They were pulled as a result of seeing trends happening. So we we do have to be also very um, cognizant and aware of the fact that there is a reporting system, and do it if we do see trends. Uh, trends within um, our patient population. So um, they're then, the patient is then aware that these particular adverse reactions could occur um, so that if there is, then they will report to me. I've never uh, reported an adverse reaction, but is there. So they, that is a part of the informed consent process. Um, and so they get that paperwork and know that they need to contact me right away because it's based on a timely fashion. And so then my chart notes are also very up to date um, if they're needed and required in any way um, that's there um, to their discretion. And so that's where I think the embodiment of A to Z in terms of, it, of vaccine administration, um, education, we need to get to that level. And so then we have a population that is like, okay, this is really well done. I full, I feel heard. I have a practitioner that is, uh, you know, on board with me. If 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 I think something's happened, they're there um, at my disposal to speak with. And so that is where we get, I think, a better relationship with our patients and vaccine vaccinating um, than ever before because it is is on a tipping scale right now. Where you know the sensation is we have all these people that are all against vaccines. Well, but it might be because of the language that has been used and the forceful manner that's been used. Yeah, people are going to get their back up in question when you start acting that way. So there is a different way of doing it with any anything, mm -hmm. anything that you 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 want to use in your clinic. Um, you know, from someone that's having surgery or a colonoscopy, or we're going to do an IV, or we did a B twelve shot. We use this herb, and if there's an adverse reaction, we are okay about talking about it totally cool. This subsection, when you're not okay, when you feel that you can't talk about it, then there is going to be real resistance. And, you know, people are like, I, I need someone to talk to about this. It's, it's a, a medical intervention. I have no idea if the person will react. I need patients to stay here for 15 minutes. It is, it is required. They stay for 15 minutes after it has been completed in case there's an anaphylactic reaction. It is on vaccine inserts. So there can be a reaction. That would be a reaction. And I would need to have that reported. I didn't know that you would have um, an allergy to something within the vaccine. Didn't know. It happened. So into the chart notes, um, this is, I send that away. And so we're, maybe it's just, it was just them, or maybe it's that lot of vaccines. Who knows? But that's where we really have to tighten up what we're doing around vaccines um, for the betterment of the population. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I love how much information you are giving. And so when you go through that process with that parent that's in front of you, um, do you also get questions around, say, homeopathic prophylaxis or other support for optimizing um, the infant's immune system and these kinds of things? And I know they're kind of poking the bear a little bit here with the vaccine topic and I don't want to call them alternatives because I know there's um, there's a different way of framing how we can support the human body. And I think through education, when people start understanding, then they have more questions around, well, okay, what else can I do to help support my child through the winter months or just through their process of vaccine, whether they choose to vaccinate or not? So do you get those kinds of questions and how do you navigate parents through those waters? Yeah, no. No, absolutely. So people do need to understand that vaccines are not 100% effective. And so we have that dialogue because what I see is people who people will vaccinate and perhaps feel, well, we're, we're in this bubble and we can't get anything at all as a result right. that I vaccinated. Yeah, no sick so days at home. The reality ever. is no. <laughs> yeah. Right. I will never be sick. We're good. My child will never get sick. We're good to go. Yes. And so I'm like, no, 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 no. Um, it's not hundred percent effective. I have no idea if your child responded well. So know that your child actually can still become sick with this infection as well, particularly take pertussis. Pertussis is still, it'll be with us for till the end of time. And so will measles. Measles will be with us for the end of time as well. I mean, people don't realize that there's different genotypes of measles which the vaccine doesn't cover. So vac so measles has its own separate topic, um, which I, you know, within the webinars, I go through um, infections. I really think that we have to have a better understanding of the infections themselves. So I spent, you know, an hour plus just talking about the infections we vaccinate against um, to understand that, yes, okay, the vaccine might give me a bit of, um, a bit of coverage, a bit of insurance, but I still need to be, you know, pervy to the fact that my child might get that infection. So what do I do? What do I do if they do get the infection? And so for me as well, understanding maybe if you can recognize the signs and symptoms, then we can come in and I would like to swab. And so that we have some better surveillance of the infections that are within our communities. Now more than ever, have we ever tested for an infection ever before. I mean, as soon as you have, you know, a bit, maybe a cough, a sniffle, definitely a fever, you're getting swabbed for COVID, SARS-CoV-2. And we've, we've never done that before. The triage before pre-COVID time was you go into the dock. I, I have a cold sniffle, not feeling so good. Well, I can either give any antibiotics, but I suggest you stay home. That is how you will be dealt with. And have no clue of what you have. No one did a swab. No one did a nasal pharyngeal swab or a throat swab. No one did anything, which we can do. And we've always had that accessible to us. And I have those here of, well, I want to know, is it RSV? Is it pneumococcal? Is, what is it? So why not? Why not? No. And so then we have a better surveillance of what is going on in our community. It is another step. It is a little bit more work, certainly but why not know? And so, you know, that I let my patient patients know. So they're like, okay, okay. My kid's still going to get sick. All right. I still need to have things at home because they're still going to get sick. Well, absolutely. Now for patients in terms of homeoprophylaxis, I do make it very clear that homeopathy is absolutely different from vaccination homeopathy because you see it, you know, 
one of the BCCDC conferences had said, the reason that people don't vaccinate is because there's homeopathic vaccines. Well, that is not true. That does not exist. There's no such thing as homeopathic vaccines. Those are two totally separate things. Mm -hmm. When you understand homeopathy, you would never say homeopathic vaccine. You wouldn't say Mm -hmm. that because you also understand vaccines. I mean, they're, they're a vaccine contains an antigen, be it uh, it's attenuated. You know, we've got an adjuvant in there. A homeopathic remedy does has not, none of those things, none of those things. Um, It's certainly made from the infection. And so people will use um, HP as a way of uh, an imprint of, okay, my body's like, okay, I've somewhat seen this, but energetically, so that when I do see it um, in my environment, my body perhaps will respond a little bit more quickly to it. Um, will it create antibodies? Huge question mark. Um, no, I will say no, it doesn't. But uh, not to say that we've had 10,000 people do HP and then draw their blood, you know, a month or two later to, to, to determine an absolute, you don't create antibodies. So that could be a a nice research project that could be done. Um, But it's not about making antibodies anyways. That's not the point of it. It's completely different from the vaccine and and the purpose that which you're using it. There's some really interesting research that is coming out around HP. And so we need to be transparent about this, about other things that are being done within around the globe and be okay about talking about it. And so, you know, um, Cuba has put out, out their information around leptospirosis. There is um, uh, within, not Cuba, but yeah, actually no Cuba. They have a, uh, a program there where they are looking at other uh, infections and using uh, homeoprophylaxis to help reduce the rate of those infections because it's so cheap. So they've been using it since 2007. And so they've been able to, to show data annually around the rates of, of leptospirosis within, the, within their population after they have given administered um, using the HP. So it's pretty fascinating, it's pretty interesting. I think that we should be open-minded to be able to read and look at these things and digest and then make a very unbiased opinion on what we're reading and seeing. And so maybe we can levitate, maybe we can do both. You know, we can do them both as a result because it isn't 100% effective using vaccines and there's a level of where they will work. For some people, they don't, they're not seroconverting. Um, all these different parameters, if you, don't have, if you do not have an immune system that can't make antibodies effectively, then you're not gonna make antibodies effectively. So what else can you be doing? And HP would be a layer, something that we could layer in. Along with certainly uh, there's, der- there's different herbal concoctions that I, um, I suggest patients using certain ones because based on compliance and they taste good um, to yes, your vitamin C, your vitamin D, all these things have great literature behind them and supporting the immune system as a whole. It's not about isolating and preventing one thing. It is about, you're going to get the infection. Then what happens next? What happens with your secretory IgA? What happens when that infection breaches and goes systemically throughout your body? Can your body go through all of the things it needs to in order to deal with that infection infections that you are breathing in all the time. And we're on a constant, your body is constantly working always. It always Mm -hmm. has and always will. So we're very hyper-focused on one right now. Yeah, sure. Totally. You know, my kids get sick. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I have one boy and a girl. Yes. Yes. And so he's six and so he's such a boy right now. It's so funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> just the things he does, but anyways, um, but yeah, I mean, we, as parents need to have, I mean, my daughter has had croup three times croup three times. And so it always goes to her lungs and this has nothing to do with vaccines. Absolutely nothing. And so it's like, okay, what else do I need? And so that's homeopathy. Absolutely. We'll use all the time layered in with herbs, layered in with supplements, and then layered in with the things that you're doing at home, water, sleep, exercise, trying to reduce stress. How, how, you know, are we laughing? Are we smiling? And what that does in terms of the family dynamics, you know, and I, and if you yourself as a parent, then are challenging around that. I mean, that's where, you know, get some self-care, get, you know, figure out what, what you need in order to have, to raise strong, thriving, thought provoking children. And because we, we need, you know, we need that we need to, you know, with our kiddos. Um, so anyway, so those are sort of, that's, my thoughts around those. Cause yeah, those, those questions come up, um, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that you brought up the whole family unit needs to be in a state of joy and health in order to support each other. And, um, so I have my, my final question that I want to ask her. I don't know if there's one that you want to, um, well, I've got so many that. questions for Taylor. We'll just have to have another <laughs> yeah, talk another time because <laughs> everything you shared, so Taylor, was, was so good. It was yeah. just, it was so awesome. good. I mean, well, if I can, if I can bring one, if mm-hmm. we can just, um, yeah, just one point, I think that that's important in the whole discussion of vaccines is that, um, you know, the target often is these antibodies, like you're referring to, that's usually, the test of whether or not a vaccine is successful and what you're referring to with this layered approach this is stimulating that that innate immune response that goes into the helper the memory cells and there's there is data to show that that having early childhood illness actually does help you become a stronger human as you age and so there's value there too and so i just wanted to sort of get your thoughts on, on, on those T helper cells, which aren't really getting as much attention maybe as they should. And, and maybe that's why there might be a need for, if you're going the vaccine route that there may need, you may need a little boost every few years. And, and there might be a different protocol for someone doing that kind of thing. And maybe that's too long of a question. <laughs> yeah, it's a big one. Cause then but, I have a question around, you know, there's studies done now where they're using measles uh, viruses and some cancer treatments. Right, and like, there's, yeah. I feel like that's could be like three, four hour conversation. <laughs> absolutely well what i will say is that kids get sick children get sick it is just how it is it it, it, and it has to be because you are training the immune system and so to not be afraid of your child getting sick never to feel that way because it's part of the process of be it, um, you know, moving into your teens and adulthood is because you were born a blank computer. You're completely blank. And so you're receiving antibodies through mom um, in utero and then through breast milk. And then as mama starts to reduce breast milk and you're eating food, you're less attachment and reliance on her. And now you're going to rely on your body to kick it up and whatever it sees in the environment is now to make memory to whatever it is. There are trillions of viruses that we are exposed to and so many bacteria that we're exposed to on the daily. And so 
know that a sickness is going to come and a sickness is simply, okay, well, this is a sign that the body would like some peace and relaxation and just stop. I want to lay on the couch and, you know, as long as your kiddos are getting water, you know, they don't want to eat because it takes energy to digest food. The immune system is like, leave me alone. I'm going to deal with this. So now the child is tired. Let me deal with it. And then we'll be okay. A thriving, healthy child will take two to three, maybe max five days to get over an illness. And that is, that is a good sign. And even fevers, which we all know, fevers is a healthy thing. You know, as we get older as an adults, most of us don't have fevers anymore, um, which is a sign maybe of ill health, but we will we'll leave that aside. Whole other topic. Whole other topic is fevers. <laughs> is yeah. A fever is how your body is going to kill. That is how your body deals with the infection is to allow the fever. Now, of course, then there needs to be mindfulness around how high the fever is going and monitoring and the age that we're dealing with. So that all is what your practitioner can help you with. But just on the whole of fevers is that that's a, it's a good sign of good health. That's a, that is something that is heat kills. So we're allowing it, your body to do, because when you suppress that with Tylenol, for example, you still got the problem. The problem is not gone. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that, that's an issue is not allowing it to fester and grow and become even now the, now the infection is going to go prolonged as well. And who knows what may come from that too, because you didn't eradicate it as, as best as it should have been dealt with. Um, but it's essentially it's supposed to happen because they're, their immune system is blank and it's learning and you're going to have signs and symptoms from that. And so then it's giving you the empowerment and the the awareness and education of how to support your child through that. It's not about suppressing it, making it going away right away by using other things. It's just support and move through this. And yeah, you're going to have to be on the couch for a couple of days and that's fine. That's just how it is. Yeah. Our kids love that. (laughs) 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 Yeah. And you know, I don't know if you've noticed this in your pediatric practice, but I've noticed when children have fevers, there's always some sort of leap in their development too, that we Mm -hmm. notice. So if it's a child that wasn't speaking initially, just had a few words, now they're putting a few words together and they have sentences. So I think there's like so many layers to this topic that we actually don't understand. And a lot of that reaction with the Tylenol comes from a as parents, we're busy. And not a lot of parents have that capacity to stay home with their kids when they're sick. So I think there's so many layers to why we choose to do what we do. And I think the more education around and more understanding, then people can make that better choice for them, because not just about today, it's about their tomorrow as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, and you give a good point about the milestone piece because there is um, there is a, a DC in the states. She's has been talking a lot about um, even retain reflexes, and mm-hmm. perhaps that's where this is even coming from in terms of not going through certain infections, um, not allowing effect infections happen um, is really affecting, um, the, this retained reflex problem that's occurring and, um, not hitting those milestones. So it's another area mm-hmm. I'm not fully aware of and have all the answers of, but it's super interesting of interesting. These retained reflexes, could they be correlated to the fact that you didn't, you know, you didn't, you didn't have the infection or you didn't have multiple infections, um, and move through those and then, um, you know, better development afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
So my question for you um, is that if tomorrow was it and you knew, and I know you have two children, <laughs> what is that imprint that you want to leave in the world today and for the generation to come? Oh, boy. Um, like, what would I say to them? Or what would I yeah. do? <laughs> Both. <laughs> um, both, right? <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, well, I only have till tomorrow because there's some really beautiful places I'd like to go. Um, you know, I think it's just being authentically you and use your voice. Um, you know, say, say people will, li- people will listen when you have something to say, especially when it's something kind and something powerful. Um, but be authentically you, uh, because I think, you know, we, oh my God, I'm going to be like this person. I'm going to be like that person. And yes, you're going to imprint from everybody, but um, yeah, I think just, just use your voice and be you. And I mean, that's something that I, that I'm trying to teach my kiddos, um, you know, the power of no and the power of, you know, um, I don't like what you're doing and, and speaking up and, you know, rather than, than staying quiet. So, yeah. I love, love that. that. Thank you. Yeah. Especially on the, on the point of, you know, kind of one thing that I think most people can agree on is that, you know, nothing should be mandated, you know? And so if, if, you know, whatever that is, you, I can't mandate that everybody eats kale and, mm-hmm. and, you know, eats, healthy vegetables, you know, we can't mandate anything. And I think, you know, like you said, having your voice, speaking truth, being kind and being clear, uh, it's such an important gift for so many. So on that note of clarity and um, sharing, let's, can you just drop that information of where everyone can access your resources again? Because yeah. I know Sonia and I are going to go through them as well yeah. um, and then be able to share them with our patients. But uh, yeah, please share where everyone can, can access you and your information. Sure. So two places. Um, first one would be my website. So www.doctorsanddrtaylorbean.com. So there you'll find um, either the webinars or upcoming talks. Um, and then, and also I have a vaccine section with on the website as well, where I've put posted all of the vaccine Canadian vaccine inserts. You can easily find them all in one place because I do recommend people to read them. And then the second would be Instagram. So Instagram is Dr. So Dr. Dr. Taylor Bean dot ND. And so I post a bunch of stuff on there and Facebook too, but usually they're, they're cross uh, Facebook and Instagram um, together. But um, yeah, a lot of conversations actually going on on Facebook, which has been really interesting. And it's usually my posts are public for everyone. And so you just look up uh, Taylor Bean and um, I'll be there. Yeah. Great. Yeah, we'll put those in the show notes too yeah. for the episode. So thank you. This was amazing. And we, I'm Excellent. sure we'll have you on again to talk about all the different yeah. so much more. that so we much need to more. go yeah. through. Yes. <laughs> uh, awesome. That's Thanks so much, Taylor. Cool. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe, and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe.